0: Welcome to the Difference Makers podcast presented by Waterproof. I'm your host, Justin Tamani. In this podcast, you'll hear from some of the top coaches, brand managers, and athletes on earth. From starting out to where they are now, we'll explore the journey of how they became a Difference Maker. Before we keep going, do us a favor hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform to hear more from the Difference Makers. Wadproof Bionic is a revolutionary mobile technology to measure and improve your mobility, flexibility, and range of motion. After completing a series of mobility tests, Bionic has everything needed to build the daily sessions tailored to your body. Bionic will help you perform and recover faster than ever. Ready to become Bionic? Download the Wadproof app now. All right. All right. We are good. Welcome, guys. This is the Difference Makers. My name is Justin Tamani. I'll be your host today. Today we have with us a special guest. This is Kiefer Lamy. Now, Kiefer is the assistant head coach at Underdogs Athletics. He's the head of Black Iron Training, as well as the director of programming at Invictus Boston. So there's a ton of titles right there. He's also probably the most handsome coach in the game,
1: modeling for Noble on a regular basis. So Kiefer, welcome. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I was not prepared for that sort of intro. I also did not know that your last name is pronounced that way. It's to Manny, to Manny, yeah. What does everybody say to me? I don't know. <laughs> I've gotten that my whole life, and I
0: just like stop correcting people. So, because nobody ever says it to me. Okay. Yeah, because people like, just call you Justin. Yeah, I have. Or if they call me, they they're not like to Maine. They they just <laughs> they just say Justin, or they uh, more frequently I get JT. But
1: one of my best friends in Boston. I had known him for like a year and he's one of those guys that like goes by his last name. Yeah. And so we all called him the same thing. And one day we were out like having drinks after a year and some joke came up and he's like, well, you guys don't even know how to pronounce my last name. And like everybody was floored. We're like, you let <laughs> us go for a whole year without telling us how you're supposed to say this. He thought it was hysterical. Wait, is that Tola? No, 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 not Tola. This is uh, one of my buddies, Justin Bartels. Okay. Everybody called him Bartels for a year oh. straight. Like, no, that's not how you pronounce it. Okay, you can't change what somebody thinks after that long.
0: No. Well, that was like Tola. When I had the podcast with Tola, he's like, yeah, yeah it's a, it's a Maraceno, not Maraceno. We're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's that's been like true. years of you competing in
1: sports and everybody called you Maraceno. Yeah. But he's used to stepping on every different stage and every time somebody says something different. Sometimes that's the same person over the course of a single event could say it two different ways. That Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I used to get that, like, because I'd play baseball. So
0: every, like, visiting stadium we'd go to, yeah, you know, like announcing who's up to bat or whatever. It's like, nope. I've always been that guy. It's like, all right, what are they going to say today? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyways, <laughs> you got a lot of titles. You got a lot of different positions that you're doing right now. Yeah. But right, primarily, you're down in in Las Vegas, right, with the underdogs team.
1: Yep. Yeah. Vegas is my like in person home right now, working with underdogs. Awesome and you guys have had,
0: a, I mean a crazy amount of success with your training camp down there with the, the athletes going to the semifinals and, and, uh, a number of athletes qualifying for the games. Mm-hmm. How have you like balanced the in-person stuff with the, uh, remote stuff that you're doing with the other companies?
1: Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I suppose I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, I've been fortunate that a lot of the roles that I do are remote. So I have some freedom of like my time when I choose to do them. Um, And so I really just sort of compartmentalize. And I know that, you know, the middle chunk of my day is the time that I spend with underdogs at the gym. And I try to stay fully invested in that. And I spend, you know, my morning time or evening time. And a lot of times my weekends um, taking care of my other responsibilities. Um, And again, like I'm just in a unique situation where, a lot of the things that I do, I either do a little bit in isolation or I don't need to be like live with other people. So I can choose to do it at nine at night if that's the time that works best for me, uh, as opposed to needing to do all of my stuff between nine and five.
0: Yeah. And when you say you're in person with underdogs, like what is that? What are the, the time frames on that look like for you? Is it just kind of like a middle of the day training session kind of thing? Or is it like split sessions for you guys? Like how do you guys balance that as an
1: organization? sure uh most of the crew does two sessions a day but at least one of the sessions is a little more monostructural focused or it's something that they do at home from their garage so they're doing two sessions but their understanding is that justin and i are primarily at the gym with them between like 11 11 30 and 2 30 to 3 o'clock that's like our our like primary training session that's where we get done a lot of our skill work a lot of our weightlifting, and the metcons. and so that's my like in-person coaching time with them. I'll communicate with them outside of that, but a lot of their other stuff is kind of solo based. Yeah.
0: And now primarily
1: with underdogs, do you do just in-person or are you remote as well? I do remote as well. Yeah. Um, so I have a handful of athletes that I work with that aren't here. Um, hopefully we're gonna get them out here at some point, at least for like, you know, a weekend or a week for a training camp. But yeah, I do some remote coaching. Um, I do a lot of help with, with you know, Kotler's primary athletes. Um, the ones that we saw at semifinals and some that are going to the games. And then I ha- have a handful of athletes in house that I work with directly. Okay.
0: Yeah. Cool. Do you guys have, uh, I mean, I, I mean, we've talked about on the podcast before, if you guys have listened, like I've spent a little bit of time down there, you guys have a crazy training environment. You guys have one of the, like a huge facility yeah. that you guys can kind of just take over in the middle of the day. And I think that's a very unique situation. Yeah. we have all the toys there.
1: Yeah. We're super, super lucky. They, uh, a little bit, a little while before I got there, I don't know, maybe somewhere at the beginning of last year, they moved into this new facility camp Rhino and it's a massive warehouse space, um, big enough that, you know, when they're open and running classes, they can run three classes at the same time. They could have like CrossFit boot camp. They have American Ninja warrior classes that they do there. And so it's, it's sectioned off in a way that's a little bit funky. If you wanted to run like a giant heat of the same workout, but if you want to have a big group of people all doing slightly different things at the same time, uh, the space works perfectly. And so it's been really, really, really nice for us. Nice.
0: So then, I mean, I feel like in a training camp environment, like it's got to feel a little bit different. Like, do your athletes do the same things at the same time? Like, are you guys doing big metcons together, weightlifting pieces together? Like, is it getting split up into individualized programming?
1: Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit of both and it's definitely evolving over time. Uh, I think when it first started and when it was a little bit smaller, everybody kind of felt like, you know, they wanted to do the exact same things at the exact same time because that's what they thought like, Oh, like we're a training groups. So we all have to do the same stuff mm-hmm. over time. It's kind of splintered off to where like certain people know different pieces that they'll be best off doing this with, or, you know, Somebody like Alex might know that Matt likes to start a little bit later during the week. And so she'll come in and do solo pieces, but she'll wait to do the MetCon together if they have the same MetCon piece for the day. And so we're trying to find like a happy medium where, you know, people have their individualized time, whether that's with us or whether that's time that they just kind of need to like suffer alone and work through some things. Um, And then they have pieces where they know that they can, you know, work with the group, whether that's, you know, a skill imam piece or it's a MetCon that they're going to get a better push from each other than they would alone. So, You know, we're getting there. Um, We haven't quite gotten to the point of you know finding the perfect balance yet, but I think it gets better over time. And the more that the group gets to know each other, and the more we communicate, the better it is.
0: Nice. The, I mean, I I can see that being just like a constantly evolving thing, especially with different people coming in and out and different. Do you see like different like pockets of people training together? Like I, I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but I think you guys have the most number of high performing people
1: together at one time like it seems like that anyways yeah i mean i proven has a pretty big group there as well uh Comtrain definitely has like a a decent chunk especially depending on times of the year i think for us it just depends where we're at in the season um you know when it came to leading up to quarterfinals everybody's everybody's training for the exact same test right or the same you know presumed test and so there's a lot more time spent together When we got to semifinals prep, we had people in week one, week two, week three, especially once you start to see like what workouts are coming out Um, and you start to think about like what weaknesses each person has that they really need to address. We started to kind of like splinter off a little bit and maybe, you know, Matt and Alex trained together a little bit more because they're training for Granite Games. And Allie was on a slightly different plan because she was at Atlas Games by herself and, you know, things like that.
0: Yeah. Now, overall, with the semifinals and the quarterfinals, From your perspective, what did you think of the programming this year? Like, we'll start at quarterfinals. Like, did you like the way that those tests broke down? And did they do what you thought they should have done to get people to the next level, quarterfinals specifically?
1: I mean, I think that the tests do what they're supposed to do in terms of getting the majority of the right people to the next stage. It's really hard to like speculate on, you know, what if this was programmed slightly differently? Would somebody else have gone? I have no idea for the most part, what athletes were from, you know, 121st to 250th there. And if they had a different set of programming, if they would have quote unquote belong to move on. But all we can really do is like, look at the test that we had, say, you know, these are the people that moved on. Um, and perhaps we look internally and say like, all right, we should have prepared differently for this. Or those athletes mm-hmm. look at it, um, you know, across the semifinals, I think the one Thing that's still a challenge for me is seeing how big of a disparity there is between tests from week to week sometimes yeah like Grand the games has a very specific style that was much different from what we saw in tennessee with syndicate and the mac um and all of those things are great and they make for really fun competitions to watch but it's hard not to wonder you know if this person was put at a different semifinal, would that have changed the outcome for them and you know that's kind of part of sports. Um, But at the same time with our sports specifically, it's challenging because that it's impossible not to think that way. Yeah.
0: And especially with like all the athletes going towards the same end goal, but all getting there a different
1: way. Right. You're you're bringing different athletes from different places. Yeah. Um, I mean, like look at the NCAA tournament, right? Like if you get put in the East bracket, you may have a much easier shot than if you were in the West bracket. And it's just like, Sometimes you get met with a stiffer competition. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes mm-hmm. somebody's star player is injured and sometimes they're not. Um, these are just variables in sport. But, yeah. but I agree, like, you know, the more streamlined we can make it, maybe that means it's a more valid test on the way there. Yeah. But, but that
0: – so I guess that brings back the argument for does regionals, the regional format belong mm. or – to these I semifinal really,
1: formats, one So I'd say both in some ways. Uh, I like the way that semifinals spreads people out differently, right? And you're not stuck yeah. with competing in the same region you're in because then you end up with these like powerhouse pockets or you end up with people moving to a specific place so they can stay away from a certain regional. Yeah. Um, but I do think if I were given the option one versus the other that I prefer a standardized programming across them because yes. I think that it levels that playing field, it gets rid of some people's arguments about like, oh, like, you know, their programming was easy or though their program was better for this person. Um, and I think that it also lends itself to something. I don't know who brought this up. Maybe it was Chase Ingram, maybe it was somebody else, but maybe it was Brian Friend. But the idea of you know having the top three people or even the top four people from each semifinal qualifying, and then being able to take an aggregate of like best scores in the world for those next one or two spots or those next number of spots. And I think that that's a really interesting way to sort of balance out the playing field in terms of where our qualifiers are coming for, knowing co- coming from knowing that some of these regions like Australia, for example, only have three spots, but they have potentially five or six people that would be game caliber athletes if they could make it there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That'd be an interesting way of looking at it. But I think then that at that point you would have to have some sort of standardized programming.
1: Correct. Yeah. That's what I was saying is yeah. in that sense. I like the idea of going to regionals where it is standardized programming, Yeah, but not necessarily forcing somebody in the Northeast to go to a Northeast regional. I think if you're yeah. in North America, you could end up at any regional competition, but they're all the same events.
0: Yeah. I, I agree with that. I like the way that it's done right now and I like the way it's dispersed everybody. Now I mean, if that was the case and you guys ran the training camp the way you ran it, how many athletes would you have had at the same – I mean, you can, I guess you can't do it that exact way, but you had how many athletes
1: on the female side run through semis and how many male athletes it was like – you know, It, it would – I think that would blow up – that would probably blow up the training camp style, right? Because yeah. nobody's going to want to – we're not going to get three or four female athletes that want to come train to Vegas with – some of the athletes we already have there, if they're like, all right, well, I'm going to go put myself in direct competition with more of these athletes. Why wouldn't I go somewhere else?
0: Yeah. Uh, It's interesting. No, that makes for
1: a very interesting set. And,
0: you know, we touched on it briefly before we started, but the idea of the training camp versus the idea of like training camp as a, as a long-term training center, as Mm -hmm. opposed to a short-term training environment, like a week camp or you know, even a weekend camp. What are your thoughts on running the two different styles? Because we've seen different things perform well for different people. Mm -hmm. And it's potentially based on the individual and the individual and their needs. But um, what do you think is, is a good long-term, you know, and I guess you're slightly biased towards what you guys are
1: doing. And I understand that as well. Uh, I I think you're right. I think it's entirely, dependent on the individual. And I also think it's okay that it can be different for an individual at different points in their career or different points in their life. Right? Like, yeah, there are people that that absolutely operate better in like a group family community environment. And it helps give them a little bit of a push and those helps them know that they have people that support them. Um, and it keeps them motivated every day. There are also people that if they're around that many other talented athletes all the time, either they're going to push so hard that they're going to feel burnt out from time to time, or, you know, maybe they struggle with comparison. And so to train with other people every single day can be not good for their mental game. Um, or there can be people that just like, like they, they have no problems pushing themselves on their own and they don't need that environment. And maybe it's good to have that tune up for a week leading up to competition, but most of the time, like they're okay, shutting the garage door and just going to suffer on their own. Um, and so I think both are great. I think that we are, finding more and more that like the people that want that environment are the people that are coming into the environment and yeah. having success with it. And we have a ton of fun with it. Um, but I also, we also, you know, have some athletes that work remotely with us that are perfectly happy to come out for like a week at a time, leading up to quarterfinals. And that's just enough for them to like give them the edge that they feel like they need. And then they go back to doing their thing the rest of the season. That's kind of like, that's what Christine best has been doing. You know, she lives in New York. She works with Justin, she works with us on underdogs. And, uh, you know, she came out once leading up to the Open. She came out once leading up to quarterfinals. She came out once leading up to semis. And then she came out and she did last chance qualifier with us. Um, and so over the course of the season, like, that's a decent amount of time spent in the group training environment. But she'll spend the majority of her offseason in New York, you know, doing her thing. She has, like, a good little training crew that she works out with there. Um, and she just touches base with us from time to time.
0: So, I mean, you guys – I. I would guess to think that people think that you guys are just an in-person only kind of thing from uh, the outsider looking and they might think that you are just in-person only full time, but you do have athletes that are kind of coming and going like that.
1: Yeah. Yep. We have, um, you know, we have a handful of athletes that come and go to Vegas and it's something that we're trying to foster more and more. We also have like a large number of athletes that work with us purely remotely, um, whether that's with Justin or I, or they work with one of the other coaches that works for us under the umbrella of underdogs.
0: Yeah. And you guys have a big coaching staff. Like, I mean, a lot of this conversation seems like it's just you and Justin coaching, but you guys have a fairly large
1: coaching staff as well. Yep. Yeah. We have, uh, Jared will get mad at me for not knowing this. I think we have at least a dozen coaches total that work for underdogs. Yeah. Uh, And it's something that's just kind of grown over time as the demand has grown and as we found the right fits for the, for the business and for what we've needed. Um, But yeah, we have a large coaching staff, a good handful of them that have experience with like higher level elite athletes. A few of them that are elite athletes themselves. Um, yeah. You know, Casey Decree, uh has won the CrossFit Games in the Upper Extremity Men's Adaptive Division. He's one of our coaches, and he helps a ton with our programming on the back end. Uh, Collect Casey wh- is technically a Masters athlete, but was at semifinals this year. Uh, obviously, Matt DeLugos is one of our coaches. Um, and then we have, like, a long list of other athlete- of coaches with us.
0: Yeah. You guys... Is- it, it's impressive to see because, yeah, you know, you kind of see your face and Justin's face the most. Yeah. And I would argue Justin's face by far the
1: most. As, as we should.
0: Yeah. yeah. But there's, there's a lot more going on there as well behind the scenes for the whole organization.
1: Yeah. which is cool. It's, uh, it's cool. It's been growing a ton. It's crazy to think that Underdogs as a business is only like 15 months old and to see how far we've come in that time. Yeah, that's
0: crazy to think about. I I think we talked about this when we were around semifinal time, and I didn't realize that it had just started, like I mean it would have been just kind of around
1: the open-ish time the prior year. Yeah. We we started underdogs. Is it right at either right after quarterfinals and before semis or right after semis? Uh I guess it was right after quarterfinals last year. Yeah. Because it wasn't even like, it, it had been a thought in Justin's mind for a long time. I know. Um, but I think what really sparked it is I came out for quarterfinals last year and we had had a conversation and we were just talking like about his goals and what he'd been doing. Obviously, he's been coaching for a really long time, both with CrossFit in grid, with teams, with individuals. Um, and uh, I just, I like I've always seen him or I see him on the same level as all of the the other elite coaches that now have big businesses that support them. And he didn't have that yet. And I just kind of said, like, you know, why haven't you built something around this? And I think that either it bugged him or it got to him (laughs) in some way. And he called me when I got back to Boston, like the next week, And he's like, Hey, if, if I want to build this, will you help me? And that's kind of where we started.
0: Sweet. So you, okay. You were, you were in from the ground level then you were
1: the the one that planted the seed, potentially. But, yeah, potentially. We'll see if he says the same thing. But I think I planted the seed. Um, Ashley, is, Ashley, his wife, is definitely a huge driving factor in everything that he does, everything that we do with underdogs. And so yeah. it was kind of the three of us from the start. We've grown from there pretty significantly. Uh, adding just Jared Grabiel has been like a huge, a huge addition for us this year. So,
0: I think I had Jared on the show right before he moved out to Vegas. Yeah. So we haven't had him on since. So now we got to see how much if he has more gray hair or not. We all have more gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> now okay. The other thing too that I found at the Mac was that Justin Kotler has RB albums. Yeah. That he is the lead singer on. Yeah. How yeah. often? What did you say? Go ahead. How often do you just put him on at the
1: gym and just let him play while he's while he's in there? Honestly, I've never. No. But partly because he's not the kind of guy that like he put on his music and he gets embarrassed. He's like, that was a past life. Like, turn this off. Turn this off. He's the guy that like he wants the hype and he hears it and he'll start singing with it and he'll start telling stories and stuff. And and I don't have time for those stories all day. (laughs) Because somebody
0: put it on when we were at the Mac together and I was like, maybe it was Cooper or somebody. But I was like, oh, man, like this is not what I expected. No. I think he,
1: somebody needs to, to put it out there a little bit more, but it was good. It's very good. He uh, self-proclaimed was put on this earth to sing. He's The man's got the voice of an angel. A man <laughs> of many talents. It's
0: like you see him kind of walking around, like in the back in the warm-up area, and you just see him singing. And it's like it could be like Mariah Carey on. It could yeah. be like it doesn't matter. He knows the words.
1: Yeah. He has a, uh, yeah, he has a very distinct swag, both, you know, the way he sings and moves around, the way he walks, his presence. He's, he's, he's very recognizable. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He's, it's a, it's a cool crew to be around and it's a, it's a cool thing to see. And then I'm glad that you, you were the potentially the person who planted the seed there. But I didn't know that. I thought that it was like he had just started recruiting once, once things got rolling
1: for him. No, it was, uh, Honestly, the way that it started was, um, you know, up Tolo uh, had been working with him remotely and he was in Boston with me at Invictus. And the owner of Invictus, Josh Plosker, is a really good friend of the Cotler family. And when Tolo was thinking about moving to Vegas to train, like he did for that for his first year, uh, I went out with him just to kind of like visit and spend some time out there. And that was how I first met the Cotlers, got to know them. And so when I went out for the second time, uh, I was just much more comfortable having those conversations.
0: Yeah. Nice.
1: Yeah. Now, switching topics completely,
0: you're, oh, boy. you're, you're the face at times of Noble.
1: Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't say I'm the face. Some, sometimes <laughs> I am like the, uh, the upper extremity or I am the legs of a, or the feet, but that's about it. How did you get into working with Noble as a model <laughs> Uh, So, I mean, Noble is Boston-based, so they were local to the area that I was in. And this is going to sound like I give Tola way too much credit for the things that I do. But, you know, Tola has also obviously worked with them for a long time. And between him and another friend of mine, Laura, who both worked with Noble, uh, they had just put in a recommendation at one point when Noble was looking for more male models. And uh, I I don't know, this is probably only the second time I've said out loud that I model for Noble because I don't like to say it that way. (laughs) um but yeah i started doing shoots for them uh they're an awesome awesome company they're super fun to work with very low key uh and you know i'm a little sad that i'm out in vegas now and i don't have the same opportunities to do as much with them but you know i know hopefully if i ever go back to boston or when i go back to boston i'll have the opportunity again
0: nice that i okay i didn't realize that you you weren't as vocal about it (laughs) i just was trying to pull up a picture on your instagram from it but i uh there's no direct modeling pictures. I don't think it's like, you know, is, the classic warehouse pictures on your on your feed here.
1: That is intentional for sure.
0: Yeah. Now, when you decided to move out, like you were the uh the programming director of Invictus Boston, mm-hmm. but Invictus Boston specifically, not the Invictus organization, correct? I, like just to yep. make that distinction between the two for people. Sure. And the the Invictus Boston uh, location is is separate from the like what you see with the uh, the team that's like out of San Diego, correct?
1: Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know how long it's been, but for the last maybe four to six years, um, our gyms in Boston have been branded Invictus, and they've been invict- Invictus Boston. We have three locations in Fenway and Back Bay. Um, I don't really know the details of the partnership, but I know that we have you know a partnership with San Diego. Obviously, we share branding and things like that, but they operate independently. And so yeah. uh, I have been the programming director for Invictus Boston. So I program for the three locations that we have there. But we really don't have any direct affiliation with what they're doing in San Diego. They obviously have an awesome crew out there. They have their team that's going to the games and and all of that.
0: Yeah. So I thought people might be confused when when we said that at the beginning because they'd be like, wait, he's working for Underdogs and Invictus. and yeah. Like that's kind of
1: competitive camps in a way but it's i people ask me all the time between my three jobs like not necessarily that how do you juggle them all but like uh how are you not like directly competing with yourself with all of these roles yeah i i think i i've been first of all i've been really lucky i work for awesome people in all three spaces but i also think that they've each carved out enough of a niche that they're different from each other that it's really not a competition if you actually look at what's going on with them Um, obviously with Invictus in Boston, I write programming for the affiliate. Um, so it's everything that people come in and do when they come to class for black iron. Um, I manage the training side, but all of our programs are a little bit more geared towards, I guess you would consider lifestyle or lifestyle performance. So even though we write like a powerlifting, a weightlifting, a functional fitness based program, it's not the same as writing a specific elite competitor program like we do for underdogs. And so- They each fit a different space. I could I could help direct somebody to each of them differently, and I would never feel like I have a conflict of being like, "Ooh, do I support underdogs right now, or do I support Black Iron?" Because you know they're different enough. Yeah. Um, but obviously, at the end of the day, it really does come down to the fact that I've like worked with really good people at each of them that respect each other, and then just try to communicate well with what I'm doing. Nice.
0: Yeah, because I mean, I think most people would kind of scratch their head when they see that initially, or when they they see that in like. There's three fairly big names within the the fitness space here that are all doing yeah. similar but different things. So, no, that's good. Now, you're in Vegas. What do you do
1: in your downtime in Vegas? Do you even have downtime? Uh, you know, so I just, well, I just officially committed to, like, staying for at least another year out here. Um, so, it's exciting. So, it makes it more of, like, a home awesome. for me for this first for the first three or four months, I kind of had this mindset that like I was just here for coaching. I was just here for like our training environment. And my life kind of like operated within this little bubble and silo of, you know, we train, we go home, we do family dinners, we hang out with like each other. Um, and there wasn't a lot outside of that. And so I think that if you were to ask me again in three or four months what I do outside of the gym, I might have a different answer because my mindset is different and that like I'm trying to treat this as more of a home and get out yeah. there and do more. But to this point, I would say, like, um, I don't know. You know, we we do the most when people come to visit. Those are the times that we go to, like, the Strip, and we'll go out to shows, and we'll go out to yeah. dinners and things like that. Um, but the rest of the time, like, it's kind of low-key. Maybe we'll all go to the movies together. You know, uh, I'm going with Ricky to the driving range or to play golf later on today. But, like, every one of my friends here is either a coach for – uh, or is an elite athlete that's in the middle of their season, so it's not exactly the time for us to go like venture out and do a whole lot of crazy things. Yeah, true.
0: Now wait, you're going to golf with Ricky. Yeah. Now let's let's get this out
1: here before. Who's a better golfer, you or Ricky? Can Ricky golf? Ricky can golf a little bit. I've seen some videos. Uh, I also know the way that he moves. So without you know blowing smoke up my own ass too much, <laughs> I'm going to confidently say that I'll beat him. Uh, okay, but also I have more of a golf background than I think he does. So,
0: okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Now, when you say you're going to the range, is it like you're, you're going to the actual range and are you going to go play like nine or 18 today? Or are you just, what are you guys
1: doing? I think it's going to depend on how, how hot it is today. We'll try to go out at like five, five or six tonight. Um, we'll at least hit some balls, but if the course is open and if it's not too hot, I'm sure we'll go out and play nine. Okay. Ricky's like, he can't sit still his rest days he like he likes to go do something I don't know if people have seen his social media much from when he's back home but like he's always either riding his bike or skateboarding or surfing or golfing or doing something like he has no chill okay
0: <laughs> how how's it been so Ricky came out what it would have been just before the uh, holiday weekend for you guys
1: Ricky got here uh, what day is it yeah. Yeah, he got here on on the second, so Saturday of the holiday weekend. Okay,
0: and then how has he been adapting to the training environment with the, you know, the heat, the humidity there? Like, yeah, I mean, it's got to be hot there right now. Like, this has
1: got to be the peak of your. It's so it's super hot. It's not humid, which is nice. People say like, oh, it's dry heat. It doesn't matter. It's it's still fucking hot when it's 115 degrees. You know it. Yeah. But uh, but he's done really well. I think, you know, it's tough to say what it is. That gets people the most, but like he's coming from something like a seventeen-hour time difference too, and so his first three days, it's much more about the jet lag, I think, than the heat itself. Yeah. um but you know, we kind of ease back in the last two days. He's looked much more like himself, and I think he's happy he got here so early to start training. But uh, yeah, but he looks good. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah.
0: I and mean, this will be an interesting year because we got Ricky there. Mm-hmm. uh Roman Krenikov is is there for the first time. Yeah, and essentially he's just been in like his like cave and no, I shouldn't say cave, but he's been like locked in Russia. Yeah. And like, we've seen him compete a little bit at the, uh, the events in Dubai and in Europe, but like, we really haven't seen what Roman can do. Obviously nobody's seen really what Ricky
1: can do for the last few years. Yeah. I think this is going to be a very interesting year. I think it's going to be exciting for, for a ton of reasons, but, um, but yeah, I I can't imagine how Roman feels finally being able to compete. Um, I really can't imagine how Ricky feels being able to get back out there for the next time. Uh, But at least I've had more conversations with Ricky. And I think, uh, yeah, I think Dubai quarterfinals, semifinals are all just kind of stepping stones for Ricky, both in terms of like getting competition experience again, as well as kind of like starting to get the nerves out. Um, I think as much as other people have expectations for him, he has expectations 10 times that for himself um, because he wants to, you know, he feels like he has something to prove and he does have something to prove. And he's, he's just so excited to do, to go out there and show. Nice.
0: And then let's talk about Alex, Alex, first time qualifier. She's young. She's 20 or 21.
1: She's 20. I think she turns, why does she turn 21? She turns 21, like somewhere right around the games, I think.
0: Okay. So, I mean, By comparison, I think Mal is what, like 19 now? Yeah. So, I mean, people know who Mal is. She had her first year last year, obviously had a pretty breakout year. But I don't think anybody who isn't like really deep in the know in CrossFit knew who Alex was coming into this.
1: Yeah. Alex is super interesting. She's – uh, I can't remember how long she's been in the sport, but she's certainly not one of those kids that started CrossFit at like 12 years old and has just grown up in the sport. You know, she played lacrosse for a while. She played more traditional sports. Um, she did a little bit of powerlifting, I think, or at least recreationally. And her trajectory over the last like year or so has been as crazy as anybody's in the sport. Like she's so strong. She's so good at high skill movements. Um, and still every day as we're going through games prep now, she's like learning something new for the first time or like doing something she hadn't done before. And so I think for this year, like, The season has been a massive success already i think she's going to do great at the games but i think she's also going to have a ton of learning experiences that are just going to make her that much better for next year yeah so you know we're going in there with the intention of doing really well but also the intention of having a positive experience of take having huge takeaways from this so that we can spend the whole next year working on those things so that she can be where we think that she will ultimately like belong somewhere in the top 10 for a long time to come yeah
0: when you say, you know, she's having like first time experiences leading up to the games, like what is like I don't know if you can say what some of those things are, but is there anything that, that you could potentially talk about and let people know about that are like uh, know, first time touching like a pig or like something like that? I mean,
1: it's it's just when you're training when you're training for semifinals or you're training for for any competition aside from the games, there's like a certain number of things that you expect to see or expect to do. When you train for the games for the first time, it opens up your world to a whole new set of tasks that you have to prepare for. Things that you might not yeah. have done throughout the rest of the year. And so, I don't. We won't talk specifically about what they are. Yeah. I don't necessarily mean they're things that she's never done, but they're things that she's never put pressure on herself to do well before. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That makes sense.
0: Okay. <laughs> I'm not. I mean, I'm excited. Like the the crew. I mean, I'm excited for a lot of the the young athletes that are going to come up and compete because. and I say this, but like it felt like for a while it was just the same kind of group that was like circulating through and there'd be like one new athlete every year. Yeah. It seems like there's a lot this year, a lot of rookies and a lot of rookies who are young and show a lot of potential for the future and and look like, you know, the future of the sport.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think there's been, there's been partly a narrative of like, you know, everything that's gone on with CrossFit and, the changing of who's programming the games and who's programming the season and stuff has, has, uh, I don't know, taken the forefront as to like reasons why certain people are making or certain people aren't or things are happening. I think another way to look at it in a more exciting way is like the sport is growing so much. There's so much talent in it that you just can't have every single person that we know or we believe to be able to succeed actually qualify. There's just not that many spots. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really cool because, you know, we have these younger athletes who are starting to take spots. We have veterans that, you know, we've known and loved in the sport for a really long time that are now like, quote unquote, struggling to make the games, which is to no fault of their own. It doesn't mean that they're any less like amazing of athletes. It just means that the competition is so good. And there's so many people that could make the games depending on the program or depending on where they're at and their training. Um, yeah. It's just getting harder. Now, for that reasoning, do you think we should see more
0: high uh, performing outside of competition event or sorry, outside of season events, you know, like uh, Dubai or Wadapalooza, like in Rogue? Well, like you kind of can't count Rogue because Rogue is just essentially the top 20 from the games that just go to the second, go and do it again. Yeah. But really, it's then two – one in north america and then the one in dubai are like the two big ones mm-hmm. do you think that we should see or do you think that there's room to have another high level you know elite events to potentially showcase some of these athletes and get them more touches or more experience in that field
1: uh i think so i think the more earning opportunities we can give athletes the better um, yeah. but I think we're already starting to see that like you know it seems like can west and madrid are both trying to make a push to be a little bit like bigger and more relevant this year i think that's helpful and it helps for a lot of athletes that maybe didn't make it past semifinals that either expected to or feel like they still have something to prove um i don't know how much more we can really squish in between the games and the start of the next season but like i'm all for more earning opportunities not so that athletes can do 10 competitions a year but so that more athletes have an opportunity to choose when they can compete outside of their regular season
0: yeah that's always one thing. Like you're right, the timing of it and the 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 amount of time you have between events is getting pretty narrow. Yeah, but I mean, in North America, there's one major event. You know, maybe we're going to start to see more, but like, it is tricky. Like, you know, like I, I reference Matt. Like, I'd like to see Matt compete as an individual. Yeah. More. Yeah. Just because, like. I mean, I, I've met him. I've, I've been around him a little bit. Like, I think he's the type of athlete that I would like to see at one of those other events.
1: Yeah. It would be awesome. Um, yeah. I know he wants to showcase that too. And I think that, you know, the more opportunities they have to compete, the more opportunities there are for our media outlets to talk about them. And then the better opportunities they have to make money through sponsorships and other things. And so it definitely helps feed the ecosystem. Um, yeah. And it just again, it gives you more it gives you more options for how you want to approach your season, whereas yeah. right now it's like, okay, if I wanna, if I want to compete outside of the season, like I have to do Wataloo, or I have to fly to Dubai and do that. Yeah, um, if you have some more options, it starts to give people more more like options within their calendar year. Mm-hmm. I don't know, something for the future, hopefully. yeah, I'm sure it's coming, you know yeah I think there, there are a lot of people that want to see that. Um, again, I, I'm really excited to see how how Can West Games turns out, and I'm excited to see how Madrid is. Um, and I know that there are some other events in Europe that you know didn't necessarily make the semifinal circuit that have been popular in the past, and so we'll see what they're able to do. Yeah. For
0: coming back to the training for the games, sure. now I mean it's Ricky that's there and mm-hmm. Alex.
1: Um, and are they? Rus- sorry. And the Russian team. Wait, what? So, a lot of people didn't know this a ton, ton, but the team that won the Far East Throwdown, the Kolesnikov team, uh, they work directly under Tommy Hackenbrook, who's one of our coaches. Oh. Uh, And they're in the States. They're in Vegas right now. They've been training at our facility for the last week. Okay.
0: Breaking news here.
1: They, uh, you know, yeah, it's just something that we didn't talk about a ton previously. It's also... You know, this has very much been like Tommy's relationship and Tommy's Tommy's deal with them. And he's done an amazing job working with them. Um, but we're super pumped to support them. I think they won five of six events at their semifinal. Yeah. Uh, with their, I believe, with their alternate female because their one of their females had been hurt. And so they, said have... they set the world record on the thruster legless rope climb event that was standardized across all the semifinals. No joke then they're they're good yeah
0: so when you said that their alternate was competing with them there is their alternate still
1: competing with them for the games uh so they have they have all six of their athletes here um my understanding is that everybody's healthy and ready to go Um, yeah have they don't communicate super well in english so i'm not totally sure what's going on with them but i mean my understanding and the way they've been training it seems like everybody's ready to go so whoever whoever's best available will be there
0: okay Hey, that's cool. And now, sorry, you mentioned Tommy Hackenbrook, but for people who don't know who Tommy Hackenbrook is, Tommy Hackenbrook is a former CrossFit Games champion. Mm -hmm. On the team side, he was with Hacks Pack, Ute CrossFit. They won twice?
1: Once at least. At least once. I don't remember. Yeah.
0: So they were – Tommy Hackenbrook's been around the game for a long time now. Yeah. Was he on the team that beat Rich's team that one year?
1: Yeah. Was it, I, I could be totally off, but was it not him and Adrian Conway? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, he's, he's not just like a, an old guy that's
1: been around. Like he, he's, he's been around more recently as well. Yeah. He's, uh, it's funny because, you know, he's, he's been around and he's in the gym from time to time. And he has a master's athlete that he'd been working with um, really closely here. And he spent some time with our crew. But this past week when his team has been here, he's been at the gym every day. And it's just so cool to see his presence there. He almost reminds me of like, uh, God, I can't remember his name, but like the old coach from dodgeball. Uh, oh. coach, <laughs> but, you know, he's, he's like, he's the crusty old vet. He's got the old tricks. He he thinks about things a little bit differently, um, but, it, but it's so great to see him working with them.
0: I hope you, I'm going to clip this and I hope you, uh, you send him that reference. Uh, I hope he's not offended by it.
1: No, nah, he'll,
0: he'll <laughs> like it. He knows. Yeah. No, nah, it's awesome. Um, so what, what's going on for the next little bit then you're going to be prepping for the games with the crew there. Yep. And then are you going to be headed out to, uh, Madison for the games with everybody?
1: Yep. Yeah. Prepping with the crew for the next month. Um, Allie Scuds heads out in a couple of days for Can West, but the rest of us will be in house here training. We will leave for the games like a week prior. Um, yeah. and then it's go time. Yeah. Nice. Are you guys all staying together? Uh, no, we're all a little bit separate. Uh, Justin and I will stay together. Uh, Alex, I think, has a place with her family, with her husband. Uh, Ricky will be there with his, his brother and his girlfriend. And so we all have like our little pockets. Cool. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Um, anything else you got going on? Anything else you want to plug before we, we call it a day here?
1: No plugs from me. I'm just happy to chat with you. This is fun.
0: Awesome. Yeah, no, this is a good time. Uh, I really appreciate. Oh, there, wait. There's a tag. There we go. If you want to yeah. find Kiefer on Instagram, you see it at the bottom there, at Kiefer Lammy. Um, and then if you want to check out some coaching programs with him, he's all over the place. Underdogs, Black Iron. I would say probably those two over Invictus because they're not going to go to the gym. But um no, Kiefer, it's been a pleasure. I, I really appreciate your time and thanks for joining. Good luck leading up to the games. You said a month, but it's, man, it's like two or three weeks left. That's true. Time's flying. We don't have much time. <laughs> it's crazy. But, no, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us here. And, uh, yeah, guys, go check out Kiefer. He's got a lot, uh, lot to say. Thanks, man. All right. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care, guys. With the Wadproof Pro Experience, you'll get instant access to training programs from some of the best coaches on the planet. From full training programs in the gym and at home, to movement-specific programs for weightlifting, gymnastics, engine, endurance, rowing, and more. We have a program that is designed for your needs, whether you are a beginner or a pro.
2: Every training session introduces a series of questions. Am I happy with my performance? Where could I have gone faster? When will I be ready to go again? For Wadproof Pro athletes, also this question What can I learn from that workout? With a Wadproof Pro subscription, you gain access to a complete training toolbox from a full featured exercise log to side by side comparisons to the ability to record your heart rate right alongside your rounds and reps. You have at your fingertips everything you need to learn to make progress and to go into tomorrow's training more prepared than today's. The best athletes are the best students. And with your Wadproof Pro subscription, you will have in your pocket the education you need to elevate your training and uncover the many lessons that every single workout offers you. Subscribe today so you can get better tomorrow.